Experience the beauty and emotion of Lent and Easter with Christianity Today's newest devotional, Easter, in the everyday. Thoughtful readings from a variety of pastors, theologians, and writers invite you into the emotional stages of Christ's journey, from humility to hope to love. Beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending at Pentecost, this digital devotional is perfect for individual or group study. Get it today at orderct.com slash easter24. This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmond.edu. Hello, this is Russell Moore, and you're listening to The Russell Moore Show, brought to you by the Public Theology Project at Christianity Today. Every week, we explore conversations and questions from a Christian perspective. And today, I have with me my friend Scott Sauls, who's pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church here in Nashville. That's right. Scott, thanks for being with us. Yeah, great to be with you, Russ. You have a new book uh, called Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans. You know, I was thinking uh, the other day after having watched the documentary series, uh, The Way Forward, um, about uh, this, this church actually in our city with people talking about how much pressure they had to be thin, to be beautiful in terms of physical uh, mm-hmm. appearance, um, that what you're talking about here, of course, is not is not anything about the outward appearance, but about something that I know a lot of people are grappling through mm-hmm. right now. And so I wanted to talk about, I mentioned to you before we went on the air that um, that I was reading the first section uh, of your book to my wife, where you said that you were listening to this critic who says, you know, Scott Sauls is terrible and uh, and so forth. And then you come on and say, I can't get away from the critic because it's me. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I think a lot of people have have that voice in their heads mm-hmm. telling them you're, you're, you're just doing it all wrong. You're messing up. Mm-hmm. Uh do you think that's the case? Do you experience having uh, with other people or is that, I know I do, but uh, it might just be. Yeah. I think all of our defense mechanisms trace back to that. Mm. Uh, And, you know, even if we're being unfairly critiqued, there's usually at least a kernel of truth in there somewhere that, that really gets under our skin and bothers us. And, you know, from a theological perspective, it it seems to make sense because we're we're made in the image of God, and the whole purpose of God is to be glorified and enjoyed forever, right? If that's mm-hmm. our chief purpose, is to glorify and enjoy Him. His whole purpose is to be glorified and enjoyed. And if we're made in His image, uh, obviously we, we know deep down that we're made for something more than mm-hmm. than what we are. 
that, that we're always falling short of the glory, as mm-hmm. the scriptures say. And it's like this in, inescapable uh, reality that we are always envisioning, dreaming, feeling that we should be better than yeah. we are because it's true. Yeah. Uh, humanity was, was perfect in Eden and humanity will be perfected in the new heaven and the new earth. And, you know, this life we're living now in a fallen world, we're kind of sandwiched in between those two realities yeah. that we're ultimately made for. And so, so the inner critic is real and the inner critic has a point, mm-hmm. um, but the gospel is also true and the mercy of God also triumphs over those judgments mm-hmm. and um, gives us a resource uh, to, to journey beneath uh, in the gospel while we are contending still with this conflicted reality about ourselves that in fact, we are not enough. Yeah. Uh, we are enough in terms of our dignity, um, but we are not enough in terms of our, um, our character, mm-hmm. uh, our, our goodness, et cetera, yet. Yeah. Um, Last so. week, I had Arthur Brooks on talking about uh, happiness, and he's, mm-hmm. of course, working and researching that quite a bit. And one of the points that he made is that a lot of people think that inner critic will shut off once I get my act together mm-hmm. and once I start whatever my goals are. Mm-hmm. whether it's somebody who wants fame and riches or mm-hmm. whether it's somebody who wants godliness and character. Once I get to that point, mm-hmm. then I'll know it and it shuts off. And, and his point is that doesn't happen. It, nope. You really can't uh, achieve enough to That's get right. past that. That's right. Um, you know, there's there's one uh, quote from Bertrand Russell, who's an atheist philosopher, uh, British guy, um, on that note that I that I include in the book, but uh, he talks about, I don't know if I'm getting the order right, but he says, if you desire glory, you may envy Alexander, but Alexander envied, I don't know, Caesar, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Caesar envied, you know, somebody else and that somebody else envied Hercules who never existed. Um, Yeah. It's, we're never enough. I mean, there's this, uh, you know, no, no matter no matter how successful, no matter how many of our goals we hit, no matter whether or not whether or not we hit our number, um, you know, or whatever our number represents, it's it's never enough. That's it. This whole it's this whole Thomas Merton thing about how we climb the ladder of success all of our lives, whatever success means to us, and then we get to the top and realizing realize that the whole time it's been leaning against the wrong wall. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Tennessee Williams called it the catastrophe of success. Uh, you know, as a very famous, um, you know, very successful playwright. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's there's so much on this from especially from celebrities who yeah. just want the rest of the world to know it's not enough. Just so you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, before you go for it, just realize that gremlin uh, of the inner critics always going to be with, with us. Yeah. Well, the other point with that, that, uh, that Arthur was making is that a lot of people assume it's almost like money for retirement. Mm. Once I'm sort of done with all this, then I can just look back and see, uh, I'd be satisfied with all the things that I have accomplished. And his point was that doesn't happen either. Mm -hmm. Uh, So everybody's fearing their own, irrelevance. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, as C.S. Lewis pointed out in uh, uh, Lessons in Learning in Wartime, you are going to be irrelevant. It's, it's mm-hmm. a question of when. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're learning to, learning to navigate that now. Yeah. How would you advise somebody 
who sometimes this inner critic, it it's sometimes it's just about, you know, you're not a good enough mom or dad, you're not a good enough uh, accountant or whatever it is. But sometimes it's spiritualized. Mm-hmm. And so one of the unique things that I find in trying to, to help people walk in Christ is that you're going to have some people whose tendency is to just justify whatever they do. They might attack mm-hmm. what other people do, but whatever they do, it's, well, mm-hmm. you know, if you understood the sermon. Then you have other people who are always just condemning themselves mm-hmm. and, and every struggle is a sign that they're not really in Christ mm-hmm. and, and so forth. How do you, sometimes you can speak a word that one group of those people will hear in a way that actually furthers the problem. Mm-hmm. So how do you navigate that with someone who's maybe maybe knows cognitively, mm-hmm. God's not angry at me, uh, I'm in Christ, God, God's not stepping back and saying what a, what a loser you are. But at the deeper level, that's, that's what they feel. Mm-hmm. What would you say to someone like that? Um, stop it. <laughs> have you ever read that? Have you ever seen that Bob Newhart yeah, uh, thing? Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that's not what I would say. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's this, it's this reality that, that I think we all live with that we are much more prone to leak, uh, the good news of grace and we are much more prone to retain, um, you know, the bad news of guilt and shame, mm-hmm. right? Our guilt and shame are real. Um, we have done things that render us guilty, uh, and we are a certain way that renders us, um, ashamed, right? Uh, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, experienced shame in their nakedness and, and it's been the story of the human race ever since. And we've been trying to compensate and medicate it ever since. Um, but what's been declared over us by the one who holds the keys to the verdict, um, uh, and 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 the one who has uh, accomplished a satisfactory verdict for for those who receive it, uh, namely Jesus Christ, you know, living the perfect righteous life, and then, you know, as the Bible says, imputing it or you know you know crediting it to mm-hmm. believers as if it were us uh, in the sight of God who lived uh, the perfect life that Christ did, and then of course absorbing the penalty for everything wrong we thought said or done on the cross, rising from the dead to confirm it all and to promise a glorious redeemed future. Um, those realities are realities that we easily leak, uh, that, that we have just this, this colossal amnesia about. And, and um, you know, it's the old Luther uh, advice, preach the gospel to yourself mm-hmm. every single day and especially develop a, a miniature sermon uh, for every you know, avenue that, that, that guilt and shame try to travel into your heart and into your head and reside there, uh, have a specific sermon for it that, that you preach to that, you know, mm-hmm. thought mm-hmm. on a regular basis, you know, formation is, you know, it doesn't happen, um, without effort, you know, salvation happens without our effort, but, but formation doesn't the ability to think God's thoughts after him doesn't happen automatically. Yeah. Um, you know, Philippians says, work out your salvation. Yeah. It doesn't say work on it. It doesn't say work for your salvation, but work out your salvation in the same way that we work out our, our biceps in the gym, right? Like take what you've already got and use the resources that God's given you to make it stronger. Uh, and, and so, 
you know, here's a shout out, I guess, for the the daily formation practices of of being in the Bible and and having a robust life of prayer, being deeply connected to to a local church where the gospel is pretty, you know, just all mm-hmm. those regular things, mm-hmm. receiving the sacraments. I mean, you know, as a friend of Tim Keller, I'm, I'm, I'm asked oftentimes, as maybe you are, how's he doing these days with this incurable cancer mm-hmm. that he's got? And his answer is, you know, I'm actually as happy as I've ever been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, but that doesn't just happen. Right. Um, beautiful people don't just happen. Right. Uh, that's a Kubler Ross quote, but in Tim's case, this is a guy who's prayed through, uh, four to five Psalms every single day, read through the whole Bible every single year for over 60 years. Um, and, and so you want to know how you become content and find that secret of being content in every situation. It's the basic stuff that you've learned in Sunday school for, yeah. For all your life, or maybe you're just starting to learn if you're a new believer. Yeah. Well, and, and mm-hmm. like you, like you say, uh, you know, r- doing these things for all of this long period of time, a lot of times the habits that we're cultivating, um, they're not coming about because of any particular crisis. We don't mm-hmm. know what we need, mm-hmm. but we just know that we need to be close to, close to Christ. And a lot of times he's preparing us, uh, mm-hmm. to get through something in the future. And it's a, it's a, it's a long-term. Uh, That's right. That's right. And I, I you know, I think, I think I, I may have heard this in your conversation with Arthur Brooks, Cor- correct me if not, but I heard it from somewhere recently and I'm like, that's it. Mm-hmm. Nailed it. Uh, and that is that especially in, in affluent America uh, or the affluent West in general, um, it, it's actually a liability to, um, to, to have an overdose of comfort. Um, mm-hmm. you know, from yeah. a biblical perspective, you know, and, and I think in our context, in our American context, we, we live on an over, a daily overdose of, of comfort and the illusion of control. And because of that, we, we don't find ourselves needing, uh, what Christ has to offer on a daily basis. And so when the crisis comes, we're not prepared. Yeah. We're not equipped. We haven't been strengthened, uh, in those seasons. And so I, you know, I think that, you know, especially for those who are accustomed to creature comforts. Um, don't think about death that often, um, you know, because you're surrounded by great health care or whatever, or longevity, to remember that that almost 100% of the Bible was written by somebody who was either, you know, writing from jail or from exile or, you know, while awaiting their own execution or under, you know, significant persecution of the Roman state. Um, and so, it, it, you know, the scriptures came to us from sufferers um, and, you know, any, anybody in the history of the world who has done anything significant um, that we can remember uh, can probably be traced to a season of suffering and sorrow mm-hmm. that 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 shaped and that helped to shape and to form them uh, to be able to rise to whatever occasion it was that made them great. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, there's this quote from Elizabeth Cooper Ross, um, you know, that 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 I pulled the title from the book from, uh, where, you know, she says it's the most, the most remarkable people we've ever known. She's a grief expert. She says the most remarkable people we've ever known are those who've known sorrow, known defeat, you know, experienced things like guilt and shame and setback and anti-climax and all the rest and emerged from it somehow. And then became the most compassionate, empathetic people who are able to show up in ways that other people aren't. And then, you know, the last sentence is beautiful people do not just happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're formed by um, trials, thorns in the flesh, yeah. as Paul talks about. And it's unfortunate. Uh, it feels unfortunate, at least, that that's the way things have to work. But, you know, even Jesus learned to be who he was through, yeah, through, through, some Hebrews, through yeah. the things he suffered. Yeah, yeah. 
Ashley here. If you're looking for another podcast that features inspiring conversations with religious leaders, authors, and artists, then I recommend listening to the acclaimed podcast, No Small Endeavor. Produced by Great Feelings Studios and PRX, No Small Endeavor explores what it means to live a good life. Each episode, host Lee C. Camp sits down with special guests like award-winning journalist and best-selling author Tim Alberta and civil rights hero Reverend James Lawson to ask what it means to live a life worth living. You can even hear from Russell Moore on No Small Endeavor. If you're looking for somewhere to start, check out their new episode with Malcolm Gladwell, New York Times best-selling author and host of the wildly popular podcast, Revisionist History. They explore how Malcolm became a stellar storyteller, some of the things he may or may not regret, and so much more. Don't miss out. Follow No Small Endeavor wherever you get your podcasts. One powerful part uh, of the book for me um, is when you were, you've just parenthetically, you said the worry that I will get Alzheimer's uh, mm-hmm. like, like my mom. And yep. <laughs> I, I, I really resonated with that because uh, my dad had a massive heart attack mm-hmm. uh, when I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And so I would always, every time there was the least bit of indigestion or something mm-hmm. like that, I would think, okay, here it is. Here, here's the heart it's attack. Coming. So I would call him. And he would always say, no, 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 no. That's not a heart attack. It's not, you know, you're just, you're, you're just, yes. yeah. And yeah, you'll, <laughs> you'll get through it. And I, you know, it hasn't happened in a long time, but since he died, I'm thinking, you know what? If it does happen again, I'm not going to have him to, I'm having him to call for that sort of, you know, reassurance yeah. working us through. Yeah. Uh, worry is, I mean, uh, every time that somebody asks me, uh, if you could tell your younger self uh, mm-hmm. anything, what would be? Worry is almost always at the top of the list yeah. to say the things that you worried about, mm-hmm. spent so much time worrying about, mm-hmm. either they didn't happen or they happened and you you made it through. Yeah, or later in life, you realize these aren't important things. These aren't important worrying things. About That's all exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. can go back to my Bible from high school. Yeah. And I can tell you what all of the highlights <laughs> Just about in the Bible yeah, are about yeah. in terms of praying through things. I look back now and say that that really didn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you and I are wired similarly mm. as Enneagram fours, right? With a three wing, right? Which yeah. are basically two personality traits that hate each other, and and yet are forced <laughs> to live t- together in our in our bodies and in our minds and souls. Um, but I, you know, I, I think people who are wired like you and I are. Uh, Russ might be a little bit more disposed to things like worry. Um, you know, we, 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 we have this capacity to see the world uh, for all the fallenness that's here. And, mm-hmm. you know, positively, we're, we're among the greatest realists that there are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we pull people into reality and then, then we say, hey, let's contend with this rather mm-hmm. than ignoring it. And so that's the positive side. But the negative side is that we, we can become worry warts, you know, to start, you know, meditating, you know, committed meditators on imagined worst case yeah. scenarios. And I, you know, the, 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 the true, uh, you know, the true fact, I know that's redundant, but the, the true fact, the true truth is uh, Francis Schaeffer once said is that the long-term worst case scenario for every single believer in Christ 
is resurrection and everlasting yeah. life. No more death, mourning, crying, or pain, world without end. Amen. Yeah. That's as bad yeah. as it's going to be a hundred years from now, a thousand years, a billion years from now. Um, you know, if, if we just had this ability by the grace of God to, to, to realize, you know, to put our lives in perspective that if we get 70 years here, if I do get Alzheimer's and suffer with it for 10 years, that'll stink. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll stink more for my family than it will for me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, 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 but, but 10 years over the span of eternity, 70, 80 years of life, uh, over the span of eternity, um, really does put things in perspective that, you know, the, the best days are always ahead. The best yeah. is always yet to come. The, the glory days, the golden years are never behind us. Yeah. They're always in front of us. And I have a hard time accessing that sometimes, especially in the worrying seasons. Um, you know, talk in the book about hypochondria mm -hmm. and, and some other things as well that have, you know, been afflictions of mine. But, but it doesn't make the truth any less true, uh, yeah. even when we're in those seasons of weakness and anxiety. I was talking to a younger uh, Christian who, who also grapples with... the name. He also grapples with worry. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I realized in talking to him is that he was worried about the worrying. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think what he was expecting is, Bible says, don't be anxious. There's going to come a point when I don't have the worry at all. Mm -hmm. And I said, let's try this. Just... Let the worry be mm -hmm. right now. Just just let it happen, but tell yourself what's happening mm -hmm. when it does. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be a better way for you than, you know, somebody who's driven to achieve. Mm -hmm. the, they can get into the exact yeah. same sort of patterns when it comes to spiritual formation in yeah. a way that's like saying to an insomniac, well, you've got to go to sleep. You've mm -hmm. got to get up in the morning. Mm -hmm. That doesn't help. <laughs> You know, doesn't. Yeah, it's uh, so it, when when it comes to when it comes to worry, that's future. We're, we're living in the future, but you talk in the book about the past too, mm -hmm. about regret. Mm -hmm. And there was a a really striking uh, story that you told about uh, about a situation that happened back in was it high school or junior high? High school, yeah, yeah. Tell you tell us about that. Well, um, I'm walking. I'm walking in uh, Percy Warner Park, uh, you know, lovely Nashville, you know, hiking venue and by myself. And suddenly I hear the words come out of my mouth, you suck. Uh, and mm. I was talking to myself and I'm like, what's that about? And, and so, of course, you, you, you look at what, you, what, what was just running through your mind right before you said the words. Um, and I said these words out of primal instinct. They weren't premeditated. Mm. They just came out. Yeah. Uh, just contempt toward me. And uh, it was based on the memory of, of something I said to a girl in high school 37 years ago in front of our homeroom class in order to get a laugh. Yeah. And, and it was at her expense. And uh, I got the laugh and felt dirty, uh, you know, from that moment forward. Apologized. She forgave me you know, repeatedly apologize. Mm -hmm. You forgave mm -hmm. me repeatedly. Um, but the, the whole story was just to illustrate again, how we hold on to guilt and shame like a sponge. Um, you know, the, our fall in our fallenness, um, you know, our hardwiring just needs to be reoriented and redeemed to, to absorb the gospel and to absorb grace. Um, 
more than we seem able to do. Yeah. And and that was just one experience from a guy who's been reading the Bible every day and pastoring a church, uh, yeah. you know, for decades now and, and married to a woman who's the godliest person I've ever known, you know, you know, living in proximity to grace all of my life almost, and, and still having such a hard time apprehending it. You, you know, know, isn't that interesting? Um, I've, I've noticed that when I look back with those regrets that haunt, um, they're never about something I should have achieved or something I I tried to do and failed at. Mm. It's there every time it's failures of kindness. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly what you're talking about. Having that having that moment of unkindness to get a laugh or to uh, fit in or mm-hmm. just out of exhaustion and exasperation. Those are the things that really linger uh, with us. And I, I think there's something significant to that, mm-hmm. even in the fact that it takes more to mm-hmm. fight that kind of regret yeah. than it does the things that we spend most of our time worrying about. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, I think I think there's a there's a beauty in that kind of regret as well, because it 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 amplifies what we are actually aspirational about mm-hmm. uh, and maybe have not yet become, but yeah. but so eagerly want to be. And, and if, if, if what grieves a person most is they wish they were more kind, um, I mean, that's, that's a wonderful evidence that the Holy Spirit and, you know, you know, just the furniture is arranged properly in in a person's soul. If that's where you're grieved, as opposed to wish I just would have made more money, wish I would have spent more time at the office, you know, wish I would have, um, you know, been more famous, you know, which, which you're, you're absolutely right. Like those are never the deathbed regrets. Mm -mm. They're never the, Oh boy. As I look back in my, on my life, I just, I just wish I would have, um, you know, taken that better paying job, no, no, won that award or whatever. Those things just end up dissipating. I mean, you know, and this is one of the things that Tim has said in conversations about, kind of being at the end of life and, and, you know, being in a deep, deeper reflective place, like he sort of distilled his focus down to just a few things, mm-hmm. um, you know, know the Lord, uh, you know, keep working on my marriage, which is remarkable in, mm-hmm. in his mid seventies, you know, yeah. to hear anybody say that, which is wonderful, you know, spend as much time with my kids and grandkids as I can keep writing to he beautifully phrases it to, 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 send messages in the bottle to mm-hmm. the future church and to encourage people, you know, like, like that's what he's reduced his life down to, which is actually, in my view, an expansion of his life, yeah. you know, to, to reduce it down to things that really matter and to let all the, like he, he, I would suspect that if you said, Hey Tim, how did it feel to, I don't know how this became a conversation about Tim Keller, but, but he's a great example yeah. to me. Um, you know, if, if somebody asked him, how did it feel when you were announced as, as the first pastor ever to make it onto, you know, I don't know if it was Forbes or fortunes, top 50 most influential people in the world. I think I know him well enough to know that he'd be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like yeah. on Christ's solid rock, I stand all the ground is sinking sand. And I, you know, I think there, there's certain people that God puts in our path that, that actually lean into that and live it, yeah. um, in an authentic way. I think you're one of those people in my life as well, Russ. And, and, um, you know, we both would be able to probably list a dozen people at least who are those people for us. Um, but it's, it's just, you know, I love what the writer of Ecclesiastes is. He's looking back on his own regrets. 
uh, highlights. Mm. He says, remember your creator in the day that the days that you're young, you know, start, start with your deathbed stuff, uh, your deathbed priorities as early in life as you possibly can. Um, and you'll live a full robust life no matter what happens. Um, and, and it's know, never too late to say, never I, too late. I wish I had done that, but I haven't. So that's right. I can, I can, uh, I can get started. Yeah. I mean, today is the youngest you'll ever be for the rest of your life. And so, so you're right. Yeah. It, it, it does apply no matter what the age. You mention in the book that you think that churches should be more like church basements than like church sanctuaries mm-hmm. are right now. What do, what do you mean by that? Well, basements where all the junkies and addicts and drunks hang out and try to get better. Um, and, and right. Cause that's, you know, you know, the Alcoholics Anonymous or the, you know, fill in the blank anonymous group. Right. We all, you know, we might have this image of like the church basement, like it's all yours guys. And, and, yeah. and, um, you know, if you've ever sat in on a recovery group meeting, it, there's just so much raw honesty and transparency and solidarity, like the C.S. Lewis thing happens, you know, you too, I thought I was mm-hmm. the only one. And then mm-hmm. when you realize that you're not alone, when you realize you're not isolated uh, in, you know, your regrets and your, how damaged you are and, and how much you desire to get well, but, but feel like you can't do it by yourself, um, which is also a gospel thing. It's mm-hmm. not good to be alone. Um, there's something magical that happens in those, in those restoration, you know, recovery communities, even without the gospel remarkably, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you see more progress in, in people's healing uh, in those transparent recovery groups without the gospel than you do in untransparent churches with the gospel, uh, which should not be um, right. And, you know, anybody would say, you know, the recovery movement actually has its foundations in, in Christian thinking and so on. Um, But if we're going to put Christ in the middle of the room, as we do in our sanctuaries, as we do in our hymnody, as we do in our preaching, as we do in our discipling programs, we're going to put Christ in the middle of the room why would we feel threatened to also put reality in the room about how unfinished we are? Mm-hmm. If the apostle Paul of all people can talk about his own, you know, coveting and envy in Romans seven to, to, to get us to Romans eight, no mm-hmm. condemnation, no separation. And if, if King David can publish his confession of the Bathsheba uh, Uriah event in, in the 51st Psalm for the rest of the world to have access to, um, you know, if, if, if Peter can, can affirm the writings of the apostle Paul, including that part where Paul opposes Peter to his face in yeah. front of them all for his xenophobia, That's a good um, point. Yeah. you know, what's holding us back? You know, yeah, I have a theory. Okay. This episode is brought to you in part by Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. Over 13,000 people in the Seattle area are homeless. Kathy is one of many who found a new life through Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. Growing up, my dad and I didn't get along. I kept running away from home until one time I was assaulted. After that, I carried a lot of pain inside of me, and I was doing a lot of drugs. I became homeless. It's taken me almost 40 years to get the healing I needed. But all along, God was looking out for me. He led me to the mission, and the mission has helped me in all kinds of ways. I've learned how to set boundaries and say no. Now I'm looking forward to working for the mission. I want people to know there's hope out there. God can help you heal. And grace will lead me home. 
visit UGM.org. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who probably are listening to this and saying, I wish that I had that. But in, you know, that person might say in their particular context, mm-hmm. if they were to sort of come forward and be honest mm-hmm. about their, their vulnerabilities, yeah. they don't feel like that would be received. That people would sort of, uh, oh, be. that's the uh, that's the, the person who, what, fill in the blank, yeah. Yeah. and that it would actually be more damaging to them. There, there are a lot of people, mm-hmm. I think, who, who think that and would might say, you know, what do I do if I don't have the power to sort of move my church toward church basement, more church basement, but I need it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that question, I don't know. I, 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 I'd love to actually hear your thoughts on that. My, my thought is if, if it doesn't start with the leadership, it's not going to become part of the culture. It's just not, um, it's gotta start with leaders. And I, you know, I, I, um, you know, I I talk about how, you know, in the book about how, you know, certain seasons of anxiety and depression have been a a Mm -hmm. reality for me. And about two years into my current assignment, I've been, I've been at Christ Pres in Nashville for 10 years now, about two years in, uh, it worked with the text I was preaching to share that part of my story uh, to the congregation for the first time. And I remember afterwards, this, this big guy that this, that really intimidated me. Um, you know, I felt like, you know, this might be a guy that would, might try to run a pastor out of a church. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so, um, so much for first impressions, mm-hmm. he comes up to me and, and, you know, this is actually the first conversation we'd ever had. I just, I just assumed by his body language that, that he just didn't like me. And, and, and which is really unfair to do, but he comes up to me and grabs my shoulders, looks at me with this intense look uh, after that that sermon, and says, "I want you to know I've been sitting under your teaching for two two years. Uh, I realize you you work hard on your messages. I really appreciate that, but I want you to know also that today is the day that I decided you that, that you're going to be my pastor mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because um, you know you you reminded us all that the, the shepherds are sheep before they are shepherds, mm-hmm. and 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 you know you're you're just as much a part of us, and we're all on the same journey, right? And and so I think leaders." the courage to be transparent needs to start there. Um, and not for transparency's sake, you know, we definitely don't want to bleed on people or turn our, our congregations or our, or or our ministries into therapy sessions for us. Mm -hmm. Um, but we do want to, you know, thoughtfully use parts of our stories as bridges Mm -hmm. to what Jesus supplies, uh, for fellow strugglers. And, and, um, but it's got to start in leadership. And I don't know if you're in a church where you feel like that's not being modeled, um, you know, maybe a, a conversation with the leadership. And if that doesn't feel, if that feels threatening, maybe bring somebody with you. I, I don't know. Yeah. And maybe get the conversation going at least. Yeah. Can we read a book together? Can we, can we look at how ministry is modeled in, in certain other contexts to, to consider how we might become more of a, um, I don't know, a safe space to do the gospel out loud together. Yeah. Um, as opposed yeah, because to in some churches, I think that actually would be received much better than the person thinks it would be. Hmm. Uh, they, they just don't see it and they think that everyone would judge them and they wouldn't. In other churches uh, are situations where that that's right. You know, hmm. you, you wouldn't have any sort of place and maybe yeah. that's not the church you should be uh, attending. Uh, but but I do think that sometimes exactly what you said, that that first step towards saying, 
I, I don't know what to do about mm-hmm. whatever it is that's going on in my life. You're actually going to find usually that there's a bunch of other people who've been kind of quiet and mm-hmm. will say, C.S. Lewis, me too. That's right. Yeah. I think so. You talk about so. depression in the book and you just mentioned it. Um, one of the things I think that some people who've never experienced depression think is that it's always sadness. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I have some listeners just based on what uh, they've written to me who would say, I'm not depressed. They would say, I'm not depressed. I'm, I'm just, it, but then when they describe what's going on, it, they don't feel sad, but they, they've lost energy. They've mm-hmm. lost and, and just don't realize that for some people, it just doesn't feel like sad and, and crying the way that you might uh, picture mm-hmm. it. It looks like mm-hmm. something else. Mm-hmm. How, does, how does somebody start to grapple with when they, they have a situation where they realize, I have, I'm really struggling with depression and I don't know what to do? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, I'm a super fan of finding a good counselor mm-hmm. who's up for the task of helping you get an accurate diagnosis of, of mm-hmm. what's beneath um, the changes that, that you're experiencing in your emotional composition. Uh, I, I work with a counselor myself, a guy named Chip Dodd, um, uh, who uh, specializes in uh, what he calls the eight core human emotions. And interestingly, uh, only one of those eight emotions is, is one that we would associate with a positive emotion, and that would be gladness. Mm. Uh, but the others would include uh, guilt, shame, sadness, hurt, fear, anger, and loneliness. Mm. Uh, all of these are, are part of the human condition and the human experience. They show up everywhere in the Psalms. All of them show up in the life of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, all of them show up in the discipleship model of the, the scriptures, right? To be, you know, in as much as, as our fingers and our ears and our noses are part of our of who we are, so are our emotions that are also given to us by God to image him with. There's a healthy and unhealthy expression of every single emotion. And and so what I would say is, you know, maybe you do feel unmotivated or maybe you feel deeply sad. Maybe you feel lonely. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That mm-hmm. that might be uh, revelatory of, of a problem in the world or a problem in your world that, uh, that, that, that calls for attention or a physiological problem, very possibly. Mm -hmm. And that invites a redemption opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, and that's another important point that, that some people's depression is strictly and solely circumstantially based. And that's, that's me. Um, you know, and it, 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 it's attached to that worry thing that, mm-hmm. that we talked about a minute ago. And for others, it's, it's, you know, the neurons are off, uh, or the, you know, the, you know, something, something's happening physiologically, or maybe there's an insomnia issue or, you know, some other thing that is physiologically, um, you know, muting your ability to live fully human, yeah. uh, and, and, there's plenty of help for that. Uh, and I think you even advertise an organization on mm-hmm. your show regularly, regularly for those who don't have mm-hmm. local access to really good counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe that might be a place to start for those who don't know where to start. Yeah. But, you know, enlisting the help of, of a professional who's up for the task rather than somebody who might, you know, even though they're well-intended misdiagnose your situation, it's worth the time. It's worth the money. Um, it's just worth it. Yeah. Um, 
You know, we, we were at lunch uh, right before this. I said to you, I think everybody's decided to lose their mind all at the same time <laughs> right now uh, in the in the world, and it does feel that way. Uh, what what do you think COVID particularly uh, has done in terms of stress and, and and disconnection, and how long do you think the reverberations of that are, are going to be? Yeah. I'm no sociologist, so I don't know. Um, what I do know, uh, you know, theologically, intrinsically, experientially, is it's not good to be alone. And and what what COVID did was was it forced us to to unhabituate mm. uh, the things that Scripture urges us to habituate. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. And do it all the more as as you see the day of Christ approaching. And here we have this, um, you know, this virus, no vaccines available for quite some time, mm-hmm. whatever you believe about vaccines. Um, there was no clear treatment for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Highly contagious. You can get it again and again and again. You know, disproportionate percentage of people dying from it, et cetera. Um, and so it, it, it forced the world to dehabituate connectivity for a solid two years. And I, 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 think, I think that we are maybe all still a little bit stuck uh, in yeah. how that habit of isolation formed us in a certain way during those seasons. And, and I would say deformed us mm-hmm. in a certain way uh, due to circumstances beyond our control. But, but now, you know, the question arises Will we commit ourselves to the work of reforming, you know, our own capacities and energies uh, toward doing what the scripture tells us is healthy and life-giving? You can't do this in isolation. Mm. Uh, you, you will not flourish. You will not thrive in isolation. You have to have community. And, and uh, I, I, just, I just think that there, there's signs everywhere that uh, on the one hand, people are flocking to... Uh, imitations of community, arts yeah. and entertainment, like concerts are packed, coffee shops are packed, yeah. restaurants are packed. You know these these places where you don't meaningfully interact or have community with people, but 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 you you enjoy the vibe yeah. of togetherness. Uh, but places where you're actually called to give and take uh, are, are still places that are struggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know places of worship, uh, places where where it involves you know some level of commitment. Uh, and and one anothering, um, you know, have lagged behind the the more um, you know faux community um, yeah. dynamics. And that again, that's sophomoreish. That's an amateur observation. I'm not a sociologist, I'm not a psychologist, but um, it's certainly the way it feels yeah. right now. Yeah, I mean, you see anger just in in relationships and and friendships that just is manifesting itself different. I'm seeing a lot more people who are concerned about numbing themselves mm-hmm. uh, with with substances. It just seems that there has been, you, you called it a pile-on. I mean, cannabis book. and psychedelics are very popular right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, and yeah. uh, whatever you think about, they're, more, they're a lot more talked about now than they were before the pandemic. Yeah. To your point. Yeah. Yeah. This is Scott Sauls, and the book is called Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. Scott, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Russ. 
If you're listening on a smartphone, tap the cover art and you'll find the show notes with some resources for you, including how to get a copy of this book. And be sure if you enjoyed this conversation to send it to a friend and to review it. Helps people to get to, to get in touch with us. And also, while you're there, sign up for Christianity Today. Become a member of CT, a trial member, for six months, and, uh, and have resources that will really help and benefit you. This is Russell Moore, and you're listening to the Christianity Today Public Theology Project's Russell Moore Show. The Russell Moore Show is a production of Christianity Today. Eric Petrick is our chief creative officer. Russell Moore is the executive producer and our host. Mike Cosper is our director of podcasts. Administration for CT by Christine Kolb, Pam Vodanova, and Abby Perry. Production assistance by Cormedia. Beth Grabencourt, coordinator. Kevin Duthu, producer and sound mixer. Our theme song is Dusty Delta Day by Lennon Hudden. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing so you don't miss any future episodes.